Hi everyone, it's been a while. Today we have our last episode of Season 1 of Paths of Fear. We recorded this ages ago and decided it would be good to finally release it before we actually start coming out with Season 2. We wanted to start on this much, much earlier, but we only just got into a position to be able to produce episodes again consistently. We also wanted you, our amazing listeners, to know that we are not giving up on Paths of Fear. In fact, we want more than ever to produce episodes and watch horror movies consistently again. That is why our second season will be adhering to a bi-weekly release schedule. That means we watch a horror movie every other week and release our episodes for that horror movie every other week. Previously, we would watch a horror movie Friday, record Saturday, and then edit the whole thing Sunday in order to release it that evening. I have no idea why we thought we could do that consistently. Now we'll have much more time to continually release content up to our standards. I cannot wait to get to the season two with you all. It is going to be one heck of a spooky season. Now, enjoy our review of Brightburn. If you had superpowers, would you kill your mommy in? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. You know, um, I'd have to say, you know, it's it's hard, but um, I think I would not. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking I agree with you there. I'm glad we're on the same page. Mom, she was out one day. You were bawling your eyes out. I had the secret weapon. So you gave me a piece of candy? Yep. <laughs> did it work? I guess. You didn't turn up that bad, did you? Huh? Welcome to Paths of Fear, the uh, occasionally weekly podcast where we give our takes on horror movies and explore the opinions of our audience. I'm Ian. And I'm Marshall. Things have been a little chaotic with uh, transitioning into the uh, new year, but we do have good news. We're starting up our regular weekly schedule again with the return of Paths of Fear Season 2. Ooh. And to finish out our first season, we're taking a look at Brightburn, which we watched so long ago, um, and it won for our superhero horror theme. Uh, this movie came out in 2019. It was written by Mark Gunn and Brian Gunn and was directed by David Yoroveski. Classic David. Yeah, good old David. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Ian, what, what kind of give me a little bit of an overview for the movie? What did you think? Do you, want, do you want a teaser first? Do we do teasers? I think we do teasers first. And do we do teasers first? Yeah, okay. I never know how to transition to them from the like intro. Um, Ian, do you want to tease us? Yeah, there, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> right. I sure do. Wonderful. Tori and her husband, Kyle, hear a loud crash as their house shakes and lights flicker. A red glow emanates from the nearby forest, the crash site of whatever fell from the sky. Many years later, Tori and Kyle's 12-year-old son, Brandon, becomes drawn to this glow, and he begins acting differently. As his character and demeanor changes, his parents start to see it's more than just puberty that's affecting their son. 
That thing that landed all those years ago has awoken, and it's a danger to far more than just the little town of Brightburn. Wonderful. Yeah, first teaser in a while, but hey, not too bad. Well, Ian, now tell me what you thought of the movie. I'll think about it. Okay. <laughs> That's fair. No, um, I, so I, I, I liked it. I think it's really cool to see superhero, like the superhero genre in horror. I think that's kind of an untapped market because when you think about it, p people with superhuman abilities can be pretty terrifying. And you do see that in series and comics like The Boys. It definitely, you know, shows off the sort of potential dark parts that can come with superheroes uh, more so than Marvel movies might. And so, yeah, so I think it's great to see that in horror. Now, I, I do, I had to take away some points because I think that the movie does lack some depth in some key areas, which I'll talk about. Um, so it comes out, I give it a score of 6.5. So I enjoyed it, but I think it did lack some, uh, some depth, which could have made it really good. Yeah, I think I'd agree with you there. I think that there was, it felt almost all surface layer. Mm -hmm. uh it there wasn't like any deep connection i felt to anybody to anything yeah uh i would say that i grimaced a lot because the gore in this movie was pretty top-notch that was they got it was some really intense stuff yeah that was definitely quite well done um, but i didn't like as anyone was dying i didn't care for them as a person i just cared like holy crap that looks painful yeah exactly i would say that I do agree the horror movies lend themselves well to superhero genre. Um, I think we also had Split and New Mutants, right? Mm -hmm. Up there. And beyond that, I can't think of any horror superhero, which is a shame. There's probably a few out there, but I think it's a very underappreciated genre. Definitely. I want to say the MCU is talking about doing a little more horror uh, here and there, but I could be wrong. And we do see, you know, like uh, we see the boys, um, you know, who has, you know, they have characters like Homelander, of course, um, like even though that series isn't really horror, um, it's more, uh, you know, drama. It's still pretty cool to see frightening, quote unquote, superheroes. Yeah, it is. And I, I love just kind of the off superhero genre. And as a whole, you get like Invincible, which is like, what if yeah. superheroes were? Um more i guess like human i guess and more realistic yeah and, and also get, like more common yeah way. and then you get yeah the boys which is what if humans uh, superhumans were commercialized mm -hmm. you get briper and what if superhumans weren't the good guys um yeah but yeah i'd say overall i give this movie a seven so we average out to like a 6.75 but wow. i i enjoyed it so we're ending we're ending the season off in a pretty lukewarm place. Yeah. So uh, that's good. I've I can't remember, <laughs> but I think we haven't done that in a while. Yeah. I feel like we like it. I feel like for like ten episodes now we have just been going at it. Yeah. We we've needed couples counseling here and there, I know. <laughs> yeah, um. I mean, yeah, that's actually why I've taken so much time off uh, to really that's... work on our differences and come mm -hmm. together as a team. And now we're back. So And uh, we still have the same problems. It didn't work. Yeah, um, but but we're ready to pretend, <laughs> and that's what matters. We just couldn't keep paying for the counseling. That's <laughs> right. We did run out of money. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, by the way, though, we have a Patreon now. No, I'm just kidding. 
We have a Patreon for our couples counseling. That's right. We have a GoFundMe, please. That would be a really fun episode, just us in couples counseling. <laughs> I'd love to do that. Just like we play, we paid $70 for this. Yeah. <laughs> All um, right. Do you, do you have the audience? Do you have the audience score? Oh, crap, dude. That, I knew I was forgetting something. Let me pull over that. Give me a hot second here. Hold on, I'm doing this mentally because I can do this. I believe. Uh, a three, I think a three. Okay, fine. I'm not going to trust myself because I feel like that's a low score. And I'm in denial that they gave it that low of a score. <laughs> Hold on. The math doesn't lie, Marshall. <laughs> it doesn't. Fuck, they did. It's a 3.5. Oh, okay. I know. Wow. That's, I know. That's harsh. That's, that's half that is. Score. Wow. That is very harsh. Oh, sorry. That's how much did the movie scare you? Hold on. We're good. Uh, okay. They gave it a 3.5 in the scare department. Okay. Their enjoyment of it. <laughs> Whew, okay, much better. Thank God. 6.75. Wow. Okay. Actually, that's kind of impressive that it landed right on our number, too. Yeah, that's our average, exactly. Man, I, I don't think it's ever happened. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Man, that was scary. It wasn't the math line, though. It was just you. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Man, even their scare factor, though, I kind of disagree with, but that's okay. That's <laughs> um, all right. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. Uh, you want to give us a summary now, Ian? Yeah. All right. Tori and Kyle Breyer, a young married couple, are making out on their bed when Tori hears a strange air-shuddering sound from outside. As it passes, relief sets in, but only for a moment. The house shakes violently and the lights go out. The couple look out their window to find a mysterious red glow emanating from the forest nearby. Twelve years pass, and Tori and Kyle now have a 12-year-old boy named Brandon. Brandon sits in class as his teacher talks about the differences about bees and wasps, calling on Brandon to elaborate. Well, um... Bees are pollinators and wasps are predators. Good, good. Anybody else? And wasps are more aggressive, more dangerous. One species, the Polistis sulcifer, is what's called a brood parasite. They've lost the ability to make nests, so they use brute force to make other wasp species raise their young. And they make them feed their babies things like beetle larvae and maggots. Bro, why are you always talking about maggots? Must be one. <laughs> While some of the kids make fun of Brandon okay, for knowing right. an unusual number of wasp facts, his classmate Caitlin tries to cheer him up. Don't worry. Smart guys end up pulling the planet. That night, while Tori paints downstairs, Brandon's mind is filled with unintelligible whispers flowing from the barn where a red glow shines from under a cellar door. He begins shaking violently before sitting up in a half-conscious state. Tori, upon hearing the thud of Brandon dropping from his bedroom window, goes outside to investigate. She finds him in the barn, speaking in tongues while ferociously pulling at the chained cellar door. Upon laying a hand on his shoulder, Tori snaps Brandon out of his fugue state. It's mom! It's mom! Mom! Look at me! The following day, Brandon helps his dad with some chores around the farm. He's assigned to mow the grass while Kyle runs an errand. 
As Kyle tries and fails to start the mower, he gets progressively more frustrated, until finally he pulls the mower cord so hard that he propels the whole thing far into the air. He finds it on the other side of the property, successfully running. Brandon stares at the spinning grass blades until he impulsively plunges his hand into them. The mower breaks, its blades bent out of shape, while Brandon is left without a scratch. Later, Brandon celebrates his birthday with his parents, his Uncle Noah, and his Aunt Mary Lee. While eating dinner at the local diner, Noah gives Brandon his birthday present, a rifle. Kyle refuses to let Brandon have it, saying he's too young to have a gun. This angers Brandon, who tells his father off in an uncharacteristic outburst, causing the family to end the celebration early. Tori and Kyle, believing Brandon's behavior to be a result of puberty, decide to go camping to bring the family back together. While getting ready the next morning, Tori and Kyle find Brandon's porn stash under his mattress. While they think the underwear magazines are of no concern, the pictures of chest cavities and organs are. How was that? Is this like a guy thing? No, that's not any guy thing I know. Ugh. Maybe we should have the talk with him. While hunting, Kyle decides it's a good time to have the talk with Brandon. Look, man, all I'm saying is you're a guy. You know, and you're going to have certain urges, you know, about girls you see in films or girls in class or whatever. And I'm just saying that it's okay to give in to them now and again. Like, now? What? Like, now. No, no, not, not right now, no. In the night, Tori wakes up to find Brandon missing. Meanwhile, Brandon's classmate, Caitlin, awakens to find music playing off her laptop. She closes it, only for it to be open again, the music restarted, when she turns around. Terrified, she turns to her open window and calls for her mom, before seeing Brandon hiding behind the curtains. Her mom runs into the room, but Brandon is already gone. Honey, there's no one here. You have to believe me, he was right there. Who was? Brandon Ryer. Tori, now looking for Brandon, finds him near camp, where he says he just had to pee. While picking Brandon up from school, Tori asks her sister, Mary Lee, who's also a school counselor, if Brandon should see someone, noting his recent behavior. Merrily explains it away as regular growing pains of a soon-to-be teenager. Later that evening, Kyle, after hearing the distress of the family's chickens, runs to the barn with his rifle out, only to find Brandon standing motionless in front of them. Are you all right, buddy? I think so. Later still, Kyle awakens to the sound of the distressed chickens, followed by silence. After going to check himself, he returns in a frantic state and brings Tori out with him. Their chickens have been brutally mutilated. I think this might be Brandon. He was out here earlier tonight, just staring at 
the chickens, they were all fucking going crazy. Babe, a wolf can't do this. It can't rip a freaking door off and break a lock. Our 12-year-old son can. So you can't explain it either. During a trust exercise in P.E. the next day, Caitlin lets Brandon fall to the ground, not wanting to touch him, and calls him a pervert in front of the class. The P.E. teacher demands she help him up. What are you doing? However, Fred. after taking his hand, Brandon Stop squeezes hers until it breaks. In the principal's office, Erica, Caitlin's mom, argues with Tori and Kyle over the seriousness of Brandon's actions. We are taking action. Brandon's going to be suspended for two suspended? days. Suspended? Do your job! Arrest him! I'm sorry, ma'am, that's not your call. After this event, Tori reveals to Kyle that she found Brandon pulling at the cellar door in the barn while sleepwalking. It was like he was drawn to me. Babe, he may look like us and sound like us, but he's never bled. Not once in his whole life. He's never been cut or broken a bone or had a bruise. And now he's hurting people. As Brandon sleeps, the whispers return to him once again, drawing him back to the barn. This time, in a more conscious state, he pulls the cellar door chain apart. The red light shines upon him, radiating from a wrecked spacecraft. As he speaks in alien tongues, his mother rushes from the house, having seen the red glow return. She finds Brandon floating above the open cellar doors, but after the glow fades, he falls, cutting himself in a broken piece of the ship. After coming to his aid, Brandon asks his mother where he comes from. You came here. Arrived here. We found you in the woods. You were just a little guy, all alone. You could barely breathe, and so we, we took you in. And you have been a gift, my baby boy. Brandon does not take this well. You're gonna do incredible. You lied to me! We, we just wanted to take care of you. And we always planned. You lied to oh, me! You lied! He runs outside into the rain and screams in anger as lasers shoot from his eyes. He finally makes sense of the whispers he's been hearing. He must take the world. That same night, Brandon returns to Caitlin, giving her apology flowers. As she stays frozen in fear on her bed, he explains that he's special, and that he'll show the whole world how special he is. Meanwhile, Erica is closing up the diner, when the lights begin to flicker wildly, and a strange symbol appears drawn all over the fogged windows. As she looks up at a light, it shatters, a piece of glass piercing her left eye. With her vision worsened and seeing a vague figure, she grabs a bat and runs to the back, locking herself in cold storage. A laser burns through the heavy metal door, and it's torn effortlessly from its frame, revealing a small, masked individual with red eyes. Brandon. In no time at all, he pounces on her. Sheriff Deaver and his deputy investigate Erica's disappearance at the diner the following morning. The sheriff makes note of the strange symbol marked all over the windows. The symbol looks like a pair of crudely drawn letter Bs facing each other. At school, Brandon sees the counselor, his Aunt Mary Lee, for his first mandatory session. 
Upon asking him how he feels about being adopted, Brandon tells Mary Lee that he feels special and superior to his parents. Troubled by this reply, Mary Lee asks him about the incident with Caitlin. You know, sometimes when bad things happen to people, it's for a good reason. After hearing this, Mary Lee reminds Brandon that she'll have to keep the school and the sheriff posted on his progress, or lack thereof. Angered by this, Brandon shows up at Mary Lee's door late at night. Brandon, listen to me, okay? I have to do my job. And to be honest, you showing up at my house this late is very inappropriate. I'm gonna need you to go home now, okay? Okay. I'll walk back. Okay, sweetie, be safe. You too. Brandon's uncle Noah returns home after Marilee's gone to bed, and to his surprise, finds Brandon in his closet with a mask on. You scared the shit out of me, you weirdo! I'm taking you home! Noah takes Brandon outside and tells him to get in his truck, threatening to tell his parents. But soon after, Brenda disappears, only to reappear and throw Noah into the side of his house with a telekinetic push. After regaining his senses, Noah rushes to his truck and drives away. After his car spontaneously breaks down, Brandon lifts his truck high into the air with telekinesis and drops it. Fuck! Noah breaks his jaw as his head smashes into the steering wheel. Barely alive, he watches as Noah takes some of the blood from his mouth and draws a symbol on the ground, the same one he made at the diner. After returning home late, Brandon's parents know he's hiding something serious, despite his excuses. The next day, Tori gets a call from her sister. Noah is dead. While initially thinking it was a car crash, Tori and Kyle are suspicious of Brandon after hearing from Mary Lee that he was at her place the same night of the accident. After returning home, they tell Brandon about the death of Noah. Honey, I'm your mom. I will always defend you. But if you know something about what happened to Noah, you need to tell us. I don't know what happened to him, but I would never hurt Uncle Noah. I love him. After hearing Brandon's weak attempt at lying, Kyle finally breaks. Did you hurt Noah? What did you do to him? He was my friend, and you just him! Brandon pushes Kyle into the wall. Stunned, Kyle lets Brandon go to his room. That night, after looking through old school projects and pictures of Brandon growing up, Kyle tells Tori that he's going to take Brandon out hunting, just the two of them, to mend things between them. After Kyle leaves with Brandon in the morning, Sheriff Deaver comes by the house and asks Tori about the mysterious symbol found at the diner and outside of Noah's crashed truck. Doesn't that look like a, a BB, maybe? As in Brandon Bryan? I don't see it. After her encounter with the sheriff, Tori scours Brandon's room and finds his school journal. She finds the symbol drawn everywhere across nearly every page, including drawings of Erica and Noah dying, as well as the phrase, Take the World, written over and over again. 
Meanwhile, as Brandon crouches by some animal tracks, his father draws his rifle and lines his sights on his son's head. As tears run down his face, he squeezes the trigger. Unaffected by the bullets, Brandon turns to his father in dismay as a feeling of betrayal sinks in. Brandon throws his father to the ground and holds him there. Kyle pleads with him, but to no avail, as Brandon burns a hole through his father's head. After finding Brandon's journal, Tori calls Kyle, but Brandon picks up. Where's Dad? He's gone. Gone where? No. No, I don't. I don't know where. Where are you? I'm home, Mom. Brandon begins destroying the house in anger, flying through walls. Tori runs and hides under the kitchen table and calls 911. Sometime later, the sheriff and deputy arrive at the house, and Deaver calls out for Tori. Tori goes for the front door, but the sheriff is evaporated in front of her as Brandon flies through him at full speed. Tori flees back upstairs, while the deputy is beaten into the floor and ceiling, eventually thrown to the ground, barely alive. Tori hides under her bed and manages to make her way outside the window. After cutting herself on the broken glass, she remembers how the ship managed to cut Brandon. Upon realizing this, she dashes for the barn. She takes a piece of the broken ship and calls out for Brandon. Once he confronts her, Tori tries to talk him down. I know there is good inside you. She embraces him. I wanted you good, Mom. I do. You will always be my baby boy. But Brandon stops her before she can stab him with the ship fragment. Brandon flies his mother through the roof of the barn and up into the clouds above. Bloodied and hopeless, his mother looks into his eyes one last time before she's dropped to her death. Soon after, a passenger plane is shown headed towards Brandon. The next day, a news anchor covers the story of a plane having crashed into the Briar farmhouse, Brandon being the only survivor. I'm the bad guy. I'm the bad guy. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. What a great summary to come back to. <laughs> 
Um, uh, it's so funny because we're 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 having this episode, which is the last episode of our first season, and then we're gonna go directly into our our second season. So we have like this long break, and then <laughs> season one, and then yeah. season two. So I don't know. It's like a giant mid season gap, but just before the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's our first season, so I, I guess we can have some flexibility with it. But I'm sure. I'm sure our next break will be a little more predictable. Yeah, it's where things are going to be a lot smoother next season, I think. Yeah, we're, we're getting um, a handle on it, though. Getting mm-hmm. a handle on it. Uh, all right. Well, hey, Ian, let's uh, let's get into it. You you gave this movie a six point five. What made mm-hmm. you take away the half point that I gave it? Well, why did you um, eat it so much more? <laughs> I just, <laughs> it's really divisive. I know. Um, <laughs> You know, like the reason why I enjoy this movie, why it's, you know, more than a five, let's say, is because, of course, uh, as a really creative genre, you know, with horror, uh, you know, superhero horror, that just that deserves some credit right there because it's something that's not done a lot. And I think it's something that can really be tapped into. And because it's something that's pretty unique, that just makes it more enjoyable as a concept, as a movie. What takes away points is the lack of depth. And specifically, I mean the lack of depth in the characters, even more specifically, the lack of depth in Brandon, the main character and also the antagonist, you could say. My problem with him is, while overall I could say that his motivations tend to make sense, his actual development throughout the movie, his the way he changes over the course of the movie, is a bit rough and simplified it's not compelling or as compelling as it could be, I'd say. It's not terrible. It's passable. But because he's the main character, it, it takes a lot away from the movie for it to be as rough around the edges as it is. It was hard to tell how much was him changing due to events from his own perspective, uh, i.e. like his dad when his dad tries to kill him, right? That that's That's a big turning point, or at least it's supposed to be. And it's hard to tell why he changes if it's like these events and him as a person, as like a human in the way that he's been brought up, uh, being affected and lashing out uh, versus him changing due to the calling from his ship, like due to like his calling from his uh, alien ancestry or whatever it is. Because at first the spaceship seems to be warping him like directly into like a completely different person. Uh, But at some point, it felt that it wasn't just the ship. It was him actually being a different person. And it's like he became a little lost, like his initial character, who's like this sweet boy, like a sweet boy who's, you know, a bit of a loner and doesn't get along super well with lots of other people. But at some point, like he you really lose that side of him completely. And he just becomes like a really sort of more flat sociopathic character with no emotion. Where, where this really affected it is it made it hard to believe the whole part where he says he wants to do good, like he really wants to do good while hugging his mother. But by that point, based on all his prior actions, based on his journaling and all of that, it seems that he lacks the emotion and the sympathy, the empathy for that to really be true. It doesn't seem like he wants to do good. It seems like he wants to destroy the world, which is fine. But I think the movie wanted to keep his humanity to make this a more compelling moment, a more emotional moment, where he would break 
upon finding out that his mother was going to kill him, and that just completely cuts him off from his own humanity. But instead, it doesn't come off that way because you already feel like he already lost his humanity. And, and I know this is a bit of a rant now, but I think he would have benefited from having more external and, and also internal forces on display changing him bit by bit uh, from a sweet boy to a murderer, which he ends up being like a sociopathic um, in, uh, entity. And I know that's hard to fit into a movie. Character development is really difficult, but it's really rewarding. And I think it's necessary for the full effect of the horror. Because if it's coming from, you know, just an alien creature that looks like a child, that's not as scary as it coming from something that used to be human, that even still has humanity in it. Something you can connect to. That's That makes it scary. That makes it compelling. And it keeps you in sort of a weird area, or it could keep you in like a weird area of kind of being on his side a little bit. But because of the way that they do it, because his development isn't gradual or they don't have these key moments really um, as effective as they could be, you, you can't really connect to his character at much. He comes off as, he very quickly just turns into a straight-up villain, and, you know, there's not much to it. And I have more to say, but I, I'll, I'll stop there for now and ask you what you think. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think I'd agree that his change was, it's, it felt like they were bouncing back and forth between like he's becoming bad because he can't he's dealing with regular kid stuff but has superpowers so he can do more about it, and then a couple times they sprinkle in there he's bad because he's this alien put on the like a uh, parasitic alien thing. I think that it could have benefited with him struggling to be good and like having still one good scene in there. I think we needed a hero moment is the thing uh, somewhere in the middle where. Brandon saves somebody where we see the potential for him to be good and then we see that collapse and it would have been much more powerful because it would have collapsed probably with like the father trying to kill him or something because that's when uh, he realizes like I'm not going to be accepted my father wants to kill me strangely enough to make our villain so much greater of a villain he needed to be a hero for a short time yeah it felt all very non-dynamic in his change what I would have done differently beyond the hero scene is I also would have made it so that he had, and it's like what you were saying, some kind of external force acting on him. Um, Cause internally he was like dealing with, I'm an alien that wants to kill people, <laughs> but his, uh, I would have put it in some external force of like, it's tricky to do cause it could have come off as very cheesy, but like a dream sequence or something where he would be like, Mum, um, mumbling in his sleep like all those weird devil alien chants and we would have seen something in his head be like it's time like you're it's time to come back like some kind of call to go back to his people or whatever yeah like i like i know that they were trying to do that in the movie with like the red glow and him sleepwalking and mumbling like that but i think you're right like there needed to be more to it like a more visible corruptive influence that would try to warp his view on his parents and like his surroundings so a little voice in his head that would try to turn these into negative things right to be like they don't really love you like they fear you um you can never be like them exactly and i well and i think that it would have been wonderful to just have it be like this weird little whispering voice and then anytime he's struggling to make the right decision to like not act out or something you start hearing those go off, like with the soundtrack, like with a 
creepy soundtrack and you're just like oh no his alien side is coming kicking in that kind of thing yeah um and it would have just made him oddly enough more human and more relatable instead like he almost immediately hops into these weird stalkerish things that is not typical of an eight-year-old to do even with power as you wouldn't think of it and i i actually i wanted to talk about that specifically because i think this is where that real disconnect happens when he really becomes just a villain who you can't connect with and that happens with this um this quote-unquote love interest now like it was pretty terrifying right to have like this little girl in her room with him being like a stalker so it has that horror element but the problem is that i think it got us turned against brandon too early it really showed his sociopathic side and if he hadn't been you know so emotionless then maybe we we could see it as more so like immaturity not malice immaturity matched with too much power uh even have him show regret but then have that regret come out as anger and he lashes out. So like when he breaks her hand, for instance, maybe that could be because he's lashing out and it's not just, whereas in the movie it comes off as just he wants to hurt her, um, not because he's angry because he's not being accepted. And and that's just, that's less interesting. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, we were on his side just for very little. And yeah. we needed to be on, and like I think they tried to switch the, like role of the protagonist to the parents at some point. But I don't think that transition was very clear. We were still following him a lot more. So we he still felt like our protagonist and the antagonist was meant to be the influence on him. Um, we wanted to see his struggle as a kid trying to figure out what am I rather than the struggle of his parents figuring out what do we do about our evil kid? Yeah, because at the end of the day, that's going to be uninteresting because they're not interesting characters um like the mother's okay and like their motivations make sense i even think the dad's character is fine they were appropriate to have the to have brandon as the main focus but yeah because they take us away from brandon they disconnect us from him because he's too far gone then we are on the parents but we don't we don't care about the parents we care about brandon or at least we should care about brandon and so like in that moment where the mother's, you know, talking to him with like a piece of the ship behind her back ready to stab him. You know, that could have been a really powerful moment. Uh, as you said, if earlier we had had, you know, a hero moment, we saw that there was hope, hope that he could be, a, you know, a hero, right? That there was hope for him. But this would give, this would put the final nail in the coffin and the voice would be able to corrupt him from there because his own mother tried to stab him. And that would be, you know, it would be, horrifying in a fantastic way it would be shocking it would be like oh my god she made it she made a terrible mistake but it makes sense that she made that mistake you know because of what he's done like it could have been so much more but instead it's just like oh man you didn't stab him that's too bad <laughs> now he's alive <laughs> yeah and i think that really the reason that the parents don't work as our protagonist later is because the movie started giving us too much screen time for brandon alone and because the movie opens with the parents and those are the characters we're getting invested in to begin with. And then they the ship drops down and then the focus is on Brandon. Whereas I think they needed to keep the perspective via like camera work and just via different written scenes on our parents if that's uh, if that's what they wanted. Mm -hmm. If that, they wanted us to feel like she is the final girl, which is more what they were going for to keep it classic horror. I think that we needed to not pay attention to Brandon so much and have him be 
have his struggle be the antagonist, but also him be the antagonist, make our make the parents feel like more of a protagonist throughout the film. Whereas it seems to just shift focus a couple times. Yeah, and, and of course, um, one of the consequences of that, because the focus on Brandon could be good if you're able to make Brandon a, you know, a relatable character. And I think that would be the best, of course, even though it's the hardest to pull off. But yeah, if you wanted to go for, like you said, a more classic horror, Final Girl, all that stuff, then yeah, you do want to you want to focus less on Brandon because you need to develop Tori and Kyle, and especially Tori, you know, being the Final Girl, uh, you need to develop those characters more so they care about them. Yeah, I just they needed to choose who was our protagonist. Is all. Yeah. Um, they tried to divide it in half the focus on his struggle as uh, becoming this evil thing. And the parents struggle of how do we deal with our kids becoming this evil thing. And they needed to focus on one more than the other, but they tried to split it down the middle. I watched a movie um, with a similar similar concept, actually, pretty recently. It was a horror comedy. I think it was called Little Devil. Yeah, I watched it with my girlfriend, Amelia. And, and like, it wasn't that good, but it did properly have a focus on the, on the stepdad of the evil child. And that that was the focus was on him, right? And him in like being scared of this child. And like, even though I don't think the movie was that good, I did feel a you know pretty decent connection with the stepdad character because they spent time on him and they developed his character and focused on his conflict with this problem of a devil child. And yeah, I think like, you know, like you've already said in this movie, because we put so much screen time on Brandon. We just we don't know the parents as people, as characters. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I like the Little Devil movie and I think it does. It, it is a good comparison because it does stick to our protagonist. Well, it chooses that well. Um, yeah. And yeah, Adam Scott, he plays such lovable characters. It's hard. Yeah. To, it's hard to not enjoy his characters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, OK, beyond the flaws that we have narratively. I do want to commend this movie for having some absolutely incredible gory scenes. It's it's been a while since I've like usually a movie can have like one scene where I'm like, oh, God, that was pretty rough. But the rest I'm fine with um, this one does it time and time again where I'm just like, holy crap, that's terrible. Um, yep. The three that really stick out to me, uh, the first being the waitress, the the glass in the eye is just Aww. such a it's such a detail like it didn't have to happen it was just kind of like almost chance that it happened to her but it was just it was just so awful and i think that any anything with the eye just kills me i can't do eye stuff um yep. it's oh god and i heard when we see through her vision uh, of it being like half red half not red because like her eye is cut it wasn't that was an okay thing i think it could have been better without and if we, they just made like her vision fuzzy or something, because I don't think she can see out of that eye anymore. Um, <laughs> I don't think she just sees right out of the eye. I think she doesn't see through that eye anymore. I feel like that's what would happen. It wasn't. It was a creative use of it, though. It, it was a creative yeah. use, but I think that a weird kind of fuzzy vision or like vision going in and out of fuzz would have been more interesting than the half red, because the half red, I was just annoyed that like, oh, geez, get that red out of the way. Maybe you could have like, more of like a pulsating red or something. Yeah, like just I, I feel like that would have worked a lot better, but that it didn't it by no means ruin the scene. And they do this, the crazy kill that happens there. 
when she's standing in the freezer, she sees him in the distance and the lights flicker off back on and he's just on her like just instantly. That is just like such a terrifying jump scare there. And it's just it's just silent. That's that's what kills me. It's just silent and you just hear the bones crack and then it's done. Yeah. And then oatmeal the next morning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and uh, I, I totally agree. I think the deaths in this movie are probably the best part. That always sounds so grim to say. But, uh, of course, they are important because they do a great job of taking advantage of Brandon's powers to make the deaths scary, as they can happen anytime in almost any way. Like you were saying, like when Brandon's standing at the end of the freezer and he instantly can jump on her because, you know, he can fly. Um and especially near the end, like with all these deaths, uh, especially n near the end, they make clear the futility of the situation for Tori uh, as she watches like the sheriff and the deputy vaporized and bludgeoned respectively. And it, it makes her situation quite hopeless. And, and of course, that's really scary. But they also are able to balance that. They're able because you would think, well, now we're getting like a Lazarus effect problem. Maybe he's too powerful, right? Maybe it's too futile, and then there is no fear because there's no hope for survival. But what they do a good job of is that they do foreshadow a weakness in him, which is having him cut by the spaceship. And so she does have hope, and she's almost able to survive, but she just doesn't quite. And all that was actually quite well done. And a lot of that had to do with the deaths, and having the deaths be creative and scary again, making use of Brandon's abilities uh, for that horror. Just the deaths alone, even though the characters are pretty flat, can make you feel a lot of sympathy for them because of how horrifying their situation is. So that is quite commendable. It's, it's one of those movies that I think it sits with you, some of those deaths, just like how brutal they were. And it's almost like hard to rewatch because you know you're going to have to see that stuff again. Um, the next gory death i think we see is the uncle's death if i'm not mistaken i think you're correct and the uncle's death that he's flipped in a truck uh, and i believe it his jaw like rammed into the steering wheel if i remember yeah. correctly oh god it's making me cringe <laughs> and it was super dislocated almost like entirely removed oh um, hanging on seemingly by flesh rather than bone oh the effects were too good yeah those were incredible effects um the actor did a great job of like he was trying to hold his like jaw back in place oh. and stuff. Oh. And Brandon at this point, he he takes he takes a little bit of the blood and he licks it. And that was nasty. Did he lick it or did he just draw it or on did, the ground? Did he? I, I remember he drew it on the ground. I thought he licked it. No, I think yeah. that was in my mind. I thought he was going to lick it. I, I also think I also think I thought he was going to lick it. I don't think he did. Yeah, I think I was just I think I was actually disappointed he didn't because I was like, hold on. <laughs> this might be interesting. <laughs> yeah. but, but it wasn't a big deal, especially since he seems to have some. I don't think they explored this completely. They explored it like a little bit on the side, but he apparently had this sort of obsession or interest in organs. But I think they stopped short. I don't think they really explored that that much. It, that whole scene where they find like his quote unquote porno mags in mm -hmm. his mattress and they're just like, what a classic kid. And they turn it over and it's like, what a classic serial killer. I don't think that they should have had the weird pictures of random organs unless they were planning on exploring it. But the thing is that they they don't. 
Um, they have it sort of on the side. You know, he shows some interest in, like, the blood and, like, uh, near the ends, when she goes to the spaceship to get a piece of it, we see um, the uh, the woman that he killed earlier who, who got stabbed in the eye. Like, we see her, like, kind of opened up in the background. But they, they never really explore it. Like, they never really, like, Brandon never really talks about it. There's no real... All it does is give more ammo for us not to care about him because he's, you know, serial killer-ish. <laughs> I, I guess the point of that is to let the parents know that there is something wrong with them, but I don't know. I think they could have done it a different way that was less um I think they're already figuring out there was something wrong with them. Yeah. And that and that did feel very final. It didn't that was really weird. And it came just way too early. They needed to have that. Yeah. If they were gonna do that, have it come way later. Yeah. Yeah, because if it had just been the porno mags like and then the dad says the thing and then he uh, immaturely like misunderstands it stalk someone again you know and it goes a different route from it uh from there like that could have been uh better than just so early already trying to dehumanize him like i think the problem is that they actively try to dehumanize him when i think they should be trying to hold on to his humanity for as long as you possibly can yeah i'd agree um the last brutal death we see uh like physically there there was there were emotional deaths for sure (laughs) But I think the most brutal death was uh, the father and him getting pinned down and then just laser it in the face. I would not have been big on that. And they, they just did it so slowly. It, like his face was just slowly kind of crisping away. I understand, though, his intent in doing it. And I think that that scene where his father shoots him in the back of the head is that's meant to be the turning point of like, OK, well, now he that there goes all of his humanity uh, just about because his his own father betrayed him. I feel like it didn't have the impact it could have because they'd already made him so non-human. Yeah, like I feel like it could have had that impact of like, oh my gosh, no, his father's making a mistake. Oh no, like he's he's now, he, he's completely lost now and like now he's, you know, now he, and then like maybe he like cries because he doesn't understand why his dad would do that and then like in in like a, sort of almost impulsive way like then kills him whereas instead it comes off more as like oh no the dad poked the bear you know that basically had him in custody and now he's gonna die for it you know it's almost like his dad was like trying to escape from a a prison that he was in as opposed to his dad making a foolish mistake um and like not giving his son a chance um even though he wants to give him a chance he doesn't and like having it be like this real like emotional thing yeah and uh i think that part of the reason that so the mistake we felt like he made was that he didn't kill his kid he didn't manage to do it he messed that up rather than him trying to kill his kid that was and it very much needed to be the other one it really did because when you think about it like it's it's so obvious when you say it it's like wait a second we we don't want him to save his child and so, yeah, it definitely comes off as just like, oh, I guess he's bulletproof. Better luck next time. <laughs> yeah. I will say the hint at his spaceship being the only thing that can hurt him was pretty cool. I like the way they, they implemented that of him just falling on and cutting his hand open. Yeah. Especially that after them, like after the father was like talking to her about like, you know, he's never broken an arm. He's never bled like all this stuff. Um, Like it was pretty 
I mean, it wasn't like super subtle, but it was still like it all made sense. And like it was a great way to foreshadow everything to give the mother a logical decision to give her a chance to escape to win. I I think that uh, and I'll, I'll get into this later, but they I think they were setting up kind of a universe with him almost. And uh, the newscast at the end, there's a picture of a superhero from another movie, like just a random movie. I forget what his name is. And it felt like they were almost trying to pose that superhero against him. Uh, and that would it would have been like in a un, unbreakable kind of situation, or like unbreakable and splendid Mr. Glass. I'm really curious to see where that would have gone. I think it didn't happen or it's taking super long to happen because James Gunn, who is a producer behind Brightburn, got incredibly busy with all the Marvel and DC stuff that he got into. Hmm. Um, which as I understand, he's kind of tired of, and that's why, that's why the superhero movies he puts out are actually really interesting is because he doesn't want to make a superhero movie. So he makes a different kind of movie with superheroes. And, and I think like the superhero genre and, and, you know, we've been saying this for a few years now has definitely gone into a, (laughs) this might sound kind of studio, but you know, a more sophisticated, complex, gritty uh, area because you know we've already seen like the sort of marvel movie and even before that like the spider-man movies like and like and even earlier like actually really over the last few decades superhero movies you know like with the dark knight the dark knight rises and all that um dark knight trilogy actually might be one of the first ones that really went darker and so we've been seeing that more and more like uh deadpool like all these movies that were that introduce darker elements um you know, grittiness, complexity are a lot more popular. It's a maturity of the superhero genre to become something that's more than just, you know, someone in a cape. (laughs) Yeah, and I think we see it go as far back as Watchmen. And I think it's why Batman retains his popularity today is because while it's someone just in a cape, he's dealing with some really terrible, dark things. Um, Whereas Superman, it's like, punch the starfish from space. Um, (laughs) So it's... It's we're definitely an audience today that likes to see our superheroes in a much more real environment. Yeah. And really feel the effects of that. And we really want to see flawed superheroes. Yeah. If we don't like our perfect wearing underwear on the outside, flying with one fist in the air kind of superhero anymore. We want to see flawed superheroes who make tragic mistakes, who make bad decisions we want to we we want to see super villains that that make sense that are impactful that can't just be you know flung away we don't want we don't want monster of the week sort of superhero like super villains like we want um we want human complex conflict uh and use superpowers as a way to emphasize very human things to make those things more powerful um you know like kind of like how anime does it you know more accentuated but at the end of the day it's the same stuff you know we want to see we want to see great stories with heartbreak and um you know and all the all the things all the things (laughs) i and honestly it's a weird thing but i I think we're done with our superheroes flying i think that only our supervillains fly anymore most commonly uh i think invincible still has flying superheroes but they they're animated, so they can do different things with that. Um, whereas when we see like Superman uh, thrash 
when it Zod's head through like a whole cement building, he's flying while he's doing it. So we're not relating to that. It, we're, we disconnect from it because we don't know what it's like to be flying through the air and have our face smashed through a concrete building, but come out fine. Weirdly enough, we're done with the era of flight for superheroes almost. And I think that kind of comes from, I mean, like you were saying, relatability. I think it's just, it's hard to have the weight of powerful fights when you can be weightless, right? Like it, yeah. it's it's an antithesis to the weight of fighting. If you can just fly in the air, it, it can take the power out of the conflict. Whereas if you're stuck on the ground, not only does that make you more relatable, more human, um, but it also increases like the weight of the fights. It makes them feel more real, more impactful. Exactly. And to hop back on Brightburn, because we only have a few more minutes, his flight works because he's a villain and it's a terrifying thing rather than yes. an unrelatable thing. Because we don't need to relate to it. We're not supposed to. He's supposed to be above us in that manner. I want to I wanna touch real quick on two more things about Brightburn. His symbol that he's drawing throughout the movie that ends up being like his supervillain symbol. I thought that was super awesome. Uh, I love that they almost gave like a Spider-Man feel. Like when Tobey Maguire, he's like drawing out a bunch of like different Spider-Man suits and stuff and then lands on like wearing a hood with the eyes cut out or something. Um, it felt like he it felt like it was that and it felt like almost he was just trying to figure out this is what represents me. And he ended up using it as just an evil symbol. And I thought that was really cool. Um, I love that it ended up being his name, Brandon Byers or whatever it was. Uh, yeah, I think. Uh, and but then it turned into Brightburn, which I can't. I think Brightburn was the name the media assigned it. I can't remember where Brightburn came about. I think it's. I think the name of the town is Brightburn. I think it's. Is Brightburn, the name of the town Brightburn? Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, I, I like it too because it, it does. Again, they could have done more with this with a more complex character, uh, because it's very childish. You know, it's like, a, oh, I want to give myself like a symbol, like you had Spider-Man, like in high school, like drawing up suit things, like you were saying, like the, you know, drawing the stylized spider, like that stuff. And and it like stands for his initials, which is like pretty cheesy, you know, pretty, pretty childish, not like in a bad way, but in a relatable way and like a sweet, cute way. But then you take that and you flip it on its head and you turn it to a symbol of fear. Yeah, um, I lied. There are two more things I want to cover now. Oh, good. But I <laughs> Uh, I remember someone commented on it while we were watching it that like he's wearing like a silly hood. I really liked his hood. I liked that uh, it wasn't like anything too complex. He didn't have anything complex at his hands. Yeah. Um, But like the stitching and then the weird kind of like Cthulhu mouth. I thought that was awesome just for like how simply he had it. It it like stitching naturally is just an element that I think is a little creepy when used right. Yeah. And then. The fact that he went with like a Cthulhu mouth just shows how disconnected from human his interests are, if that makes sense. Yeah, I actually I really like the design because it comes off as both like you could see a child coming up with it um, and it has that sort of potential cuteness, cheesiness effect. But then you have the like you have the opposite sort of feeling of otherworldliness, of unfamiliarity, you know, um, uh, and also, by the way, a little off shoot of that is i think that would have been cooler to find under his bed than the organ stuff like you see the porn and then you see like he's stitched together something and that can kind of come off as like oh that's interesting and not just scary but it's also a little freaky a little unnerving yeah i 
I would agree with that. That would have been way more interesting to find. Um, the last thing I'll say that kind of relates to the otherworldly is, and this always happens in horror movies, but where they put him in the classroom and he answers that question about the wasps. <laughs> they always do this. Yeah, and it's it's almost kind of like we're kind of done with it to an extent, you know? I feel like it's, and at this point it needs to be in a comedy. Absolutely. But yeah, it's always just like, well, actually, here's here's what the movie's about. It's too much of a trope. I'm I am done with the classroom teacher telling you what's going to happen in the movie, foreshadowing shit. <laughs> like it is, it it is at this point it is too cheesy. It does take away from the grittiness. It was absolutely the silliest part of the movie. Um, it you do use it to form this uh, love interest thing, but it, it's just it's too. You're getting to too cheesy, too cutesy, and then it doesn't. It just is so out of place in this movie. I I I assume probably most people won't find it that bad. I think we've just because of how many movies we've watched with, you know, that school scene. It's just so overdone now, and it was never done well. Is the funny part? Yeah, it's it's very much just like it only worked in the eighties. Yeah. Um, past the eighties, everyone, it, even kids, are above that like alpha crap that they did in schools i what i want to see with this like weird classroom teaching setting now is an interruption of that where they take like in the movie she's talking but like while she's talking and trying to give the lesson the baddie just like kills her right there or something and it would be cool if it were even just like a horror classroom uh, like they were teaching like about on a literature or something and they get into and they're just they get into like and here's how you form a proper jump scare yeah and then boom, she's dead or something. There you go. It, it needs to it needs to be toyed with now rather than repeated. I also think a problem was they went for like wasps and bees, and I get what they were going with, right? Like like he was saying, you know, it was very direct. It was very in your face, which made it irritating. Yeah. It was like, oh yeah, he's you know a wasp who was put in the nest to be raised by other people, and then would betray them, I guess, or whatever. But. I mean, it's also like, like it felt like they were going to go for like a hive mind thing or like he was going to be controlled somehow. And then they flopped on that and it just appeared to be him and uh, yada, yada. So not nah, it did not work well. Yeah, it was there's just no ambiguity to it. I feel like it's worked in other movies because you go back and you're like, oh, that lesson related to the movie as a whole where this was just very in your face. Here's the movie, whether that's us being more evolved as an audience or the scene being written out too plainly. Uh Who's to say? Maybe it's a bit of both, but nonetheless, it doesn't work. I also will say, like, I, I don't know how important this is, but I was a little peeved by the fact that, like, both, like, the teacher and I, I realized, okay, they're sisters. It makes sense. That's his aunt. But, like, both his mom and the school teacher slash counselor slash aunt slash sister, she was wearing many different hats. Like, they were both, like, very conventionally attractive blonde white women. <laughs> And so it's just like, I don't know. I feel like we might see that a little too often in horror. Yeah, I think you can get away with like maybe a couple conventionally really attractive people. But the I think the most compelling stuff is made with people who are relatively average looking. We don't I don't want to see a model everywhere. Um, I got a weird offshoot arrow. Everyone in arrow uh, from like the Arrowverse CWs is 
just like a freaking supermodel and you're just like well okay cool and they they almost joke about it sometimes where they're like but look how many like sit-ups i can do and it's just like yep yeah, you have a six-pack cool yeah yeah uh-huh. uh arrow's so known for that like just yeah. constant workout routines where you're just watching arrow flex his muscles at you yeah and uh whatever and all but then like flash is so much better because while there are attractive people it's still tv they're not like these supermodels and all um and I think like the first time we see Barry Allen, they're joking about like him having like a baby face or something. Yep. It it's just it's be- our stories. We want relatability, and we don't relate to supermodels because we're not all supermodels. Um. Yeah. So yeah, and and I I'd have nothing against the the actresses or anything. Like they did a fine job. Um, they're just too pretty. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just. I mean, and it's not even that they're like too pretty. I think it's just. I mean, especially I think part of why I'm peeved is because they had both of them look very similar and they're both like that conventionally attractive like you know blonde women um and like even though like i mean i think they could have done a better job in general with everyone you know looking more human but i think like most like many of the other characters were still believable like you know the husband it's not like he was wildly attractive like you know he was he's still hollywood actor but you know like he looks more regular daddish <laughs> yeah you know, of course, they could have uh, increased, you know, diversity and whatnot, but that's pretty consistent issue amongst all the movies. Also, a small town in Kansas. I don't know how much diversity you're going to get in this. It's true. It's true. <laughs> um, all right. Well, Ian, we don't have too much time left. Do you want Are you ready to hop in the surveys? Yeah, let's do it. All right. We're going to kick it off immediately. So as I said, 3.5 in the scare factor. That's OK. I didn't scare you too much. Um, how much did it scare you? Ian? What would you give it there? Um, I would give it a four. Really? Okay. Yeah. I would say because of the gore alone, I would have to go like five, five and a half. I think I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm changing it. Um, I'm changing it to five. Yeah, it's because like, I think that there weren't, there wasn't a crazy amount of creepiness going on. There was, it was unsettling at times, but the yeah. gore alone messed with me, but I don't want to give it too many points because of gore alone. Yeah, like you can't you can't go too much above five because there's no time where you're really um, I think in part because it's missing that emotional components and all that, like uh, it does just come down to the deaths and like uh, but I do have to give it, you know, and this is pretty high for me, um, but I have to give it at least a five because there were times where I had I was like looking through my fingers a little bit because I don't want to look at all the gore. And so that's, you know, that's 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 well done. Yeah, you got, you got even points for that. Um, all right, so now we're gonna hop right into the right into the pie chart scene. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. What scared you most in this movie? Or pause if your question. The kid's unstoppable power, the kid's ruthlessness, the kid's deceptiveness, or the kid's outfit slash mask. <laughs> the kid's outfit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm gonna say ruthlessness. Okay, okay, and I'm gonna let you know it tied with another. Which one do you think it tied with? Okay, what well, what well, there was deceptiveness in there, right? Deceptiveness, power, and mask. Mm. I'm gonna go with power. Actually, I want to okay. go power and uh, ruthlessness. It was power. It was sorry. It was ruthlessness and deceptiveness. Actually, ah, okay, yeah. all right, that's um, fair. So I, I didn't find him that deceptive. Was the thing? Yeah, it's. I put it in there because there were some times when he was like a stealth master. Uh, yeah weirdly enough and he was 
definitely trying he was throwing the wool over his parents eyes that was his whole goal was like my parents can't find out which i kind of said like that's probably like coded into him being this other like species that's raised by other people don't let them know you're different because then they're gonna stop raising you oh at the same time it's kind of weird because like sometimes he was like i don't want anyone knowing then sometimes he didn't care at all and like yeah i don't know like well it he always just did what his parents knowing and i i I can understand that don't tell my mom yeah i guess i i guess the problem is like it seemed like he didn't actually care yeah um yeah for a guy that didn't care that didn't want anyone finding out or his parents finding out he sure did make a whole fuss around town yeah and it also didn't seem to care about his parents that much (laughs) yeah in the end um which leads us into our next thing whose death bothered you the most we have six options here ian uh there were two that tied there's the waitress there's the uncle there's the father there's the sheriff the officer and the mother i'm gonna go with i think i i could see any of these like i could see how anyone could relate to any of them like i know the um the first lady in the diner uh, the waitress yeah the waitress like she um you know she gets a thing in her eye but i think that could bother a lot of people um of course the uncle has the whole dislocated jaw thing personally that's the one that bothers me the most um i could see the the dad because you know you burning through a head i could see the sheriff because he's just suddenly poof gone um you know i think the least one is probably the the deputy i i'm assuming that she's the deputy because he's she came with the sheriff yeah um and like she was more so just kind of like beat up a little more conventionally just kind of beat up bloody, yeah, her, which is still pretty bad but I, if i recall correctly hers were a bunch of like off-screen sounds that sounded quite awful um, yeah like she she was kind of in the backgrounds being like thrown against the ceiling yeah so like I, I could i could see any of them of course the emotional component even though i don't think it was as powerful as it could be with the mother dying so i could see any of these uh i'm gonna go with mine just because i find it the most disturbing uh and that is the dislocated jaw on the uncle i think is the the worst death okay the worst best death <laughs> yeah the best worst death <laughs> and uh well and there was one that tied with it Ian. What, what's what's going to be your put for that uh, i'll go with the waitress because i think the eye thing can really get to people okay it was it was the uncle and the mother actually oh okay. Um, okay and i think that's because i said bothered you the most instead of like made you grimace or yeah upset you because uh if it's up to bother it can be either and it, the mother's was the most emotionally involved yeah and i could see that i think i i probably discounted it just too much because we've been talking so much about how it could have been so much more but i can see how it's still bothersome <laughs> yeah for sure and so we have our opening question right here at the end if it's your kid let's say that you adopted regularly or birth yourself or wife did do you think you could put the kid down? What would it take for you to actually catch on that your kid is the source of the mayhem? Yeah, would I don't. It, do you think you could do it, Ian? No. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, it's. I, it's, I can't. It's gotta imagine. be the hardest thing. It, yeah. Um. No, I. I think I would be. I mean. I, I think, think the, I could. I could feel a sense of responsibility that like it has to be me. I have to do it because mm-hmm. I'm going to do it the most humanely. If he keeps doing this, someone's going to do it a lot worse to him. Mm. And there's going to be a lot more death if I don't do it. But I think it would be like 
I would probably just want to kill myself after. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty rough. Um, I could only see it maybe if they were a danger to, like, my other kids or something. Um, Oh, yeah, that's true. But, I mean, that would be the absolute, like, that's the last resort, and I don't think I could do it is the thing. Um, Like, yeah, that's just, you know, seems impossible. But, okay, our audience, they get into, I don't think I'd be capable in any way. Not only are you taking a life, but the life of a person that you've raised for however many years. If my kid had porn, whatever. But then freaky deaky pictures of organs and human anatomy charts hidden in the stack, that kid is getting some serious help. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would give my kid help. Uh, um, yeah. Our next is, could I? No. Would I? Maybe. Which I feel <laughs> like is... That's that's where I'm at. Like, I feel like I couldn't, but I possibly would. <laughs> Interesting. If I had to. Yeah, which I, it's a weird, it's a weird way to put it, but I think they put it well. Hmm. Um, if I had an alien super child set on murdering everyone, I wouldn't even try. I just accept death. In that case, it doesn't look like anyone could do much else to stop him. Now, that's the classic Paths of Fear answer. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's our audience thing. Give up well, and die. <laughs> it's all over anyways. Uh, maybe maybe that'll change in season two marshall oh yeah maybe maybe our <laughs> audience will get a little more brave i i, I feel bad because like i i feel like i almost influence the audience because i feel that's that's the approach i often take mm-hmm. in reality our audience just really are the type of people that would die uh, in horror movies well, according, and they would to just you, be according to you you always want to die in spite you want to you want to die to spite something else yeah well that's because <laughs> fuck that guy dude <laughs> he wants you me to think walk. you can kill me <laughs> you can't kill me if i'm dead <laughs> yeah he wants me to like crawl through glass to save my life no i'm <laughs> with that glass um, oh my god yeah like, how are we gonna put this on spotify i can't believe <laughs> i used to try to not put explicit on our podcast episodes <laughs> i would like bleep out our curse words for a little bit and i was like what's the point <laughs> god um, damn it all right, and our last one is I would snitch on my kids so fast. <laughs> I, like, <laughs> I like that you just, you, you're not taking any responsibility. You're just like, someone else deal with this. <laughs> I'm, I'm leaving. I'm yeah. uh, I'm just moving. My kid's bad. Take him out. Oh, man. Um, And then we've gotten into the habit of doing this. It'll be here in season two as well. We just said share with us some other thoughts you had. And we got, we got one person I wanted to share some more thoughts. It says, felt a bit rushed. Seemed like he went from straight A's to serial quickly, really uh, to serial killer really quickly with little time in between. Completely Which, yeah, agree. That was, that was basically the whole point of our movie, our our podcast. Yeah, that's like our our review in a nutshell. Yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah, I'm glad we didn't read that before we did the episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would have taken all the content away. Well, cool. Uh, are there any final thoughts you have, Ian, for the movie? Yeah, I mean, I I would just say, uh, I guess to reiterate. Uh, it's it's a it's a good movie. I still I still agree with that. That's six point five. I think is a fair score. I think seven is a fair score. Um, I think its uniqueness again bringing the superhero genre into horror, uh, like straight up horror, not just thriller or drama or whatever, but horror is really good. And I think that adds a lot to it. I think the deaths are great. I think it, it does a great job of taking advantage of the superhero nature of it to increase the horror. Uh, I think it just falls short when it comes to its characters, its characters' developments, uh, its focus on which characters are important, which are the protagonists, antagonists, and uh, at the end of the day, just uh, it's not the development of Brandon is not as compelling 
as I would like it to be. Yeah, ditto. I think that's all we got. Yeah. Um, thank you all for tuning in. We have been Paths of Fear. And of course, uh, join the Discord. Link in the description uh, for all the all the goodies. All the goodies. And for, of course, the chance to participate in the episodes. That's what we love the most about this, is getting your opinions and reading them. Um, and watching the movies with y'all. And uh, yeah, so we're really excited to start season two, which will mm-hmm. uh, be coming out maybe relatively soon after this episode. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. And a quick note. Thank you all so much for staying tuned with us during season one. It has been a blast doing Paz of Fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, apologies for us getting so inconsistent at the end. We It's our first season. We're trying to figure out just how our schedules work with it. Season two, we have a lot more solid of a game plan that we should be able to live up to a lot better. Yeah, so. we'll, we'll have we'll, we'll, we will have breaks, but you'll know ahead of time, uh, and and it'll make more sense. <laughs> yeah, it won't just be like suddenly they're not doing it. Um, suddenly there's no episodes for weeks. Yeah, we appreciate y'all a whole crap ton. Uh, and we will see you in the next season, which I guess starts today. <laughs> Farewell to everybody. Um.